You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through, he takes it again! Down goes Fraser! Down goes Fraser! He hits one, oh, what a goal! It's Lillard, he got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Hello, welcome to this week's Fresh Air Sports Hub show. Uh, with me, Peter Johnson, joined as usual by Alfie Steiner. It's been two weeks since we were last on the waves and it's been quite a dramatic and busy two weeks for sport. We've had the Masters in golf with Matsuyama becoming the first Japanese winner. England beat Poland to make it three out of three in the World Cup qualifiers. Jimmy White against Stephen Hedry's snooker rivalry was reignited, even if it was only in the first qualifying round for the World Championship. We've had a week's worth of Champions League and Europa League action. We've had the return of the Darts Premier League. Rangers have gone one closer to going the whole season unbeaten. Lingard scored even more goals for West Ham, and Liverpool even snuck in a win at Anfield. So uh, let's start off with some of last week's Premier League action. And there were a lot of rather dramatic games and interesting results, it's fair to say. So we'll start at the Etihad, which is perhaps the most unexpected of them all. Um, Leeds lead just before half-time, uh, after a VAR review, uh, Cooper was sent off. Ferran Torres equalised, then he thinking, here we go, classic, is he going to pitch it at the end? Before Stuart Dallas got his second of the game, to win it for Leeds. Now, were you watching that game, Alfie, on uh, Saturday lunchtime? I was. I was watching, and it was the most like quintessential example of a of a smash and grab, wasn't it? But uh, you couldn't not love Stuart Dallas, just, like charging through the sort of uh, last line of the City defence and then sticking a finish past Edison. It was great to see. I mean, credit to Leeds. It was it was unbelievable to sort of put up with 45 minutes of 10 men and not only not lose, but take the three points in the end. It's crazy. They're an incredibly unpredictable side, aren't they? Because, I mean, they were busted by Arsenal a few weeks ago. I think, so, you know, I think they're becoming slightly more predictable in, in the sense that they're not... I can't remember the last time they've shipped loads of goals. They, they've definitely shored up defensively of late. And I think... In the in the bigger games as well, you know they drew to Chelsea. They've obviously now beat Man City. Like not many teams of late have can claim that they've done that. Just gonna have a look at their recent results. Yeah, they haven't been conceding a lot of goals at all. The last time they conceded more than conceded two against West Ham, and then yeah, when they conceded four against Arsenal. So love Leeds though. Yeah, they they, they are well established out there. Premier League club, really. I mean, when you look at compared to the other two they came up with, who've not really shown a huge amount of ambition, really. Um, but I mean, to be fair, Leeds got reason, the reasonably unchanged team, haven't they, from the side they had last season? But there's, there's just they're greater than the sum of the parts, really, aren't they? They don't have any stars, I don't think, particularly. With a couple of good additions, someone like Rafinha, for example, has been what signing he's been for this year. Um, so yeah, I, I think also with Bielsa. Up, uh, managing them, I think they've just managed to continue the trajectory that they started last year, and clearly, like they're all together, and you know, tactics and all of that sort of thing. I think they are they're well established, so it'll be great to see them back in the Premier League again, which looks like that's all but confirmed. I mean, obviously, well, they still have something to play for. They're not necessarily well. They're not. I wouldn't have thought in the race for Europe really. They're obviously well out of reach of relegation. But there has been some sort that Marcelo Bielsa obviously doesn't have a contract for next season. Um, wonder how much persuading he might acquire 
to stay stay around for a bit longer. And you would think a win at the Etihad's not a not a bad way to try and convince him that there's still a bit of life in the old dog yet. Yeah, I I I wouldn't expect him to. I mean, to be fair, I think last season his contract was out and he renewed it less than 24 hours before the expiry date or something. So I think they definitely leave it right until the last minute. I wouldn't think that if Bielsa secures Leeds a you know a top 10 finish, I don't think he'll be sort of really keen to go anywhere very soon. Yeah. That's a big club coming, yeah. from, which wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. He, he's showed that he can really make it work with with this team and such an un- uncompromising approach if he had like a you know a really good team then who knows what would what would sort of be the the ceiling of of where he'd go no i agree let's um just turn our attention to city because we've got a lot of games to rattle through today um so it was city's first home defeat against the promoted side since february 2007 uh, 42 matches to go beaten wow. by reading in february 2007 um, and their league in the league, their lead in the league is down to a measly eleven points. So they better start looking over the shoulders. They need three draws and one defeat um, from the final six for United to have a chance of winning. So as the, the essentially three three victories off the title. Um, so it's, you wouldn't think it's really a defeat that we're concerned about, which is it in the bigger picture? No, I I don't think so. However, I did look at the league table sort of after United beat Spurs and City obviously lost. And I thought, wow, that's that's a bit closer than I thought it, it might have been. Yeah. And, you know, the United have got a game in hand, so they'd go on to 66 if they win that game. That's eight points behind City. I mean, I don't think it will happen, but if City don't respond to that defeat in a, in a, in a good way, and also the fact that they've got FA Cup and the Carabao Cup final and Champions League, they've got plenty of other things going on. So to sort of deal with all four of those, fighting on all four fronts is, is, well, who knows if they can do it. Well, I mean, you look at the remaining fixtures, which I obviously did, and they've got uh, Chelsea still to play, which is, I mean, a draw is obviously incredibly possible in that game. But that's just one out of six. And then obviously, even if they do drop the points, you're relying on United winning every single one of the remaining games. So, I mean, there's that many factors that kind of have to, have to combine that I would have thought it's unlikely. Um, I mean, having said that, when they won it in was it 2011-12, wasn't it, the Aguero season, um, United had a similar kind of lead at a similar kind of stage in the season, I think. So, you know, stranger things have happened. I mean, I was surprised that United and City have lost the same number of games. Like, they've lost four each now, haven't they? And I'd have thought, uh, just from kind of the narrative around the two clubs this season, that United's number of defeats would have been way higher. But uh, there you go. So, uh, yeah, we'll move on to uh, the next game. Just try and get through as many as we can. Um, just as a final word on that City against Leeds game, I did say I've said before that Bolton Wanderers have a weird way of finding them finding the way into random statistics. And there was another one this week uh, in that um, Leeds uh, haven't had a red card in the Premier League before this weekend since uh, Mark Viduka in May two thousand and four against Bolton. So yeah, they've done it again. They found their way into another weird stuff. So uh, I'll move on to Liverpool now. <laughs> They just get more score every time, don't they? But uh, we'll go to yeah. We'll turn to Liverpool against Villa now. Uh, Liverpool obviously winning at Anfield, something that they've not made much of a habit of recently. Um, Villa still without Grealish, which to be honest, we never Villa Villa rock up without Grealish and Stuart and Levin. You're gonna fancy your chances, unfortunately. Um, but they, they did almost condemn Liverpool to another home defeat. Um, it was Liverpool's 37th 90 plus minute winning goal in the Premier League, which is way more than any other side. 
Um, while what uh, Villa have conceded more stoppage time goals in the Premier League than any other side. So it was kind of, if Liverpool were going to win that fixture anyway, they were probably going to do it with an, an added time winner. God, these, these stats are weird today, aren't they? Um, <laughs> Watkins also equaled the record for the most goals against champions in a season. There you go, they keep coming. Um, Villa dropped out of the top half of the table, um, so Europe is probably out of the question now. Um, I can't help but feel that's maybe a slightly disappointing season for them, given where they were. I mean, they were top of the league, but I don't think anyone was really reading too much into that. And then they were kind of floating around the top four, top five for a while. And now to have, to have dropped out of the top half, at least temporarily, was uh, that must be quite disappointing, I would have thought. Yeah, I I think they they've been massively hit by Jack Grealish's injury. I think for the last you know, I don't know how long now, probably spanning six seven games or something. So I don't think we can under, underestimate that. I think they've sort of dropped down the table um, as he's been out. But yeah, it is a bit disappointing because they were flying. I do. I still think you know it, if they finish mid table. I think that's absolutely fine for them, um, albeit maybe some of their more sort of attractive options in the transfer market may not come to fruition or Jack Grealish thinks, oh, well, if we finish in Europe, then I'd definitely stay. Maybe now he he considers it twice. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a shame. But Liverpool sort of, um, I mean, I wasn't really surprised. I thought they'd maybe, I mean, I was willing to wait and see how they responded at home because obviously their, their record at Anfield since the turn of the year has been absolutely dreadful. So this was their first win and, first goal that they'd scored I think from open play or something like that so they'd um, yeah they did well to, to win and what a great what a great strike from Trent everyone keeps writing him off and he's sort of responding each time he has a setback at the moment yeah I mean you definitely have a point to prove to be fair I mean I'm not entirely sure how you would reach the conclusion that he wasn't kind of the requisite standard to go to the Euros to be quite honest Um I'm not sure what Gareth Southgate's missing, but he's definitely um, proved his cause pretty well. Um, I mean, just Liverpool overall now, just in, there, in terms of their, their running, they've still got Leeds and my United to play. But beyond that, it's a relatively easy running. I think they're all bottom half teams. So given how much everyone, me included, have been kind of writing them off the last few weeks, they've still got a, a very reasonable chance of getting top four because they have. I think they do have a comparatively easier running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they definitely do. I, I, I've i said to some people, obviously everyone's sort of hoping that it's West Ham and Leicester taking those last two spots, which obviously would be would be great. But I'm pretty certain that Liverpool will make it in and probably Chelsea as well. I feel, I feel like Leicester might fall away slightly. Although, yeah, I don't know. It's so in the balance. It is quite exciting. I think it's anyone's, anyone's spot. I mean, I think West Ham even... Regardless of how impressive they've been recently, you know, they have been shipping the goals. Lingard's been massively sort of unreal, but outperforming his XG sort of, you know, it probably will catch up with them given the fact that, you know, uh, Rice is out, Antonio's now out, Cresswell picks up an injury, Noble might have picked up an injury. So I think, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea are probably well-placed given the strength of their squads, for example. Right, well, you mentioned Jesse Lingard just then, and we will uh, lead us quite nicely, actually, into talking about West Ham against Leicester. And that was a, a bit of a humdinger of a game, actually. West Ham don't really like being three goals up, I think, is what we can draw from this season, if anything. Um, Lingard's now got eight goals and three assists in nine games for West Ham. He's reached 10 goal involvements quicker than any other player in West Ham's history. 
we can't not talk about him yet again. He's kind of a regular feature of these every week now. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's where we've got to start, really, isn't it? I mean, his two goals early on came back to help West Ham over the line in the end because he started to look like they were going to crumble once again. Yeah, he... he. Um, I was sceptical to see how they deal with not having Antonio on. But, I mean, Bowen has sort of come in and, and done a fine job sort of replacing him in, in that forward position, Lingard... <laughs> I mean, when a player's on form like this, it kind of reminds me of Son earlier in the season, obviously different players, but when you're in such brilliant form, it doesn't matter, sort of, you're defying the metrics and all of that sort of stuff. You just, the confidence is so high that you just take shots and go for things that you wouldn't go for if you didn't have the confidence that he has. And it's great to see, to be honest. And again, he's just like, he's scoring goals that maybe he shouldn't be scoring. I mean, at least one of them against Leicester. And... Yeah, I mean, what more can we say? He's, he's on form the best player in the Premier League. And I think West Ham would do well to to keep him next year. And, and might I add, Manchester United would do well to sell him for such a good fee. So they're, they're, they're probably quite fortunate. And maybe they weren't anticipating that. Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to come on to next. Because I think with every passing game where he keeps us up, then you know, the idea of taking him to the Euros sounds less and less ridiculous. But I think earlier this week, I think we saw that United have slapped a £30 million price tag on him, which I still think only West Ham would probably be willing to pay, um, given how he's performed this season. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I still think it's unlikely that he'll get back into the United squad in the first team. Um, and I think, you know, based on this these last few games, I think that he's found his level probably kind of in these teams that would be hoping on a good season to have a chance of sneaking into Europe. I think that that is probably... The sort of that, I mean, that's the level where he can expect to find himself regularly in the first team, as he has been doing. So, I think if you're him personally, it's probably better to look for a move away in the summer, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's probably a few factors that come into this. I think it's probably, you know, 90 plus percent done if West Ham qualify for Europe, let alone the Champions League. If they qualify for the Champions League, I think Lingard stays and they pay the money and, and probably have to pay a bit more, but they'll have the money, so it doesn't matter. Um, but if West Ham don't qualify for Europe, then maybe he'll reconsider his options because I'm sure there'll be plenty of interested parties come the summer, um, not least some teams in in England and probably abroad. But I think because it, it's worked so well at West Ham for him under Moyes, I think he 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 sort of do well to think that or prioritise moving to to West Ham permanently because, as you say, he's found his level and. It looks like he's he's made a great impact in that dressing room, and and West Ham are a really solid team. So I don't think they'll sort of fall away next season either. I think that would be a, a good move for him. I mean, it's a strange one with West Ham, really, because we saw kind of uh, this week. Uh, David Gold um, tweeted five years ago. He said, "I don't see why we can't be in the Champions League within five seasons." And obviously, everybody laughed at him. And I think, oh God, actually, he could be right. But you think that is probably more down to like fluke than anything else. Um, but in fairness, West Ham have become a bit more savvy kind of the transfers, haven't they? I mean, Lingard's case in point, but we've seen kind of they bought Haller, didn't they? They splashed out on Felipe Anderson and they didn't really do particularly well. But then you look at this season, they've brought in Sochek, obviously, who's been an absolute revelation. Uh, Jared Bowen has been a very solid player in Lingard as well now. So as he, they, they obviously they move stadiums, they would try to be rather ambitious in terms of the managerial appointments, some of these signings. And they just kept it simple, really, haven't they? Going for, you know, a few more obscure names who've just been absolute revelations. I think it was actually 
I mean, a lot of West Ham fans, I remember when David Moyes was reappointed and they were not having it. I think, you know, the manager appointment would did not align with sort of where West Ham were in de- intending to go with the new stadium, like you mentioned. And you can see why they wanted to, you know, they brought in Manuel Pellegrini and, and met, tried to make all these stellar signings. But I think the, 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 the trouble with West Ham is, is that they're not quite, even if the stadium is, you know, arguably one of the best in, in the country and they want to elevate themselves to that level, they're, they're just simply not capable of, of buying the players and attracting the names and paying the wages that, you know, the other top six, seven teams do in the league. So I think, you know, this approach was, was really brave to sort of go down this route of reappointing Moyes, keeping it safe, and then recruiting brilliantly after sort of recruiting so terribly for quite a few years. Like you mentioned, Suchek and his his uh, international teammate, Sufal, at, at right back as well, has been a revelation, um, holding on to Declan Rice, Antonio sort of finding form, then the likes of Jared Bowen and Ben Rama sort of recruiting from the leagues below. So they've they've sort of made it work in a in a way that people would not have sort of anticipated them to make it work. And you've got to say that they've just had a really solid season and they've got a good blend of youth and English players and old timers and then sort of hardworking, um, well, on this occasion, Czech players and then recruiting from the leagues below. So, yeah, good, good on West Ham. I mean, if we do look at the opposition they were against um, Leicester, it must be incredibly frustrating for Leicester because I imagine... West Ham are almost perhaps a team that Leicester wish they were in terms of, you know, they are clearly punching above the weight, but they look like they have kind of got... You wouldn't write West Ham off over the last few games to finish in that top four, whereas I think people are starting to write Leicester off. Um, and it's it's a strange one, really, when you look player for player and obviously what Leicester did last season. But West Ham do look, of the two, far more likely, you would think, to be able to hold on to that place in the top four. Yeah, I think... On, on current form more than anything. Um, I think West Ham as well have, have fostered quite a, a tight-knit group and it looks like their mentality is that, you know, the the expectations and the pressure doesn't seem to be getting to them, even though they've, you know, their last three games, they've gone 3-0 up three times and then conceded three, two or two, then three, then two or something like that. So very entertaining, but they managed to hold on. I do... Th- <sighs> Leicester is a, are a weird one because we always see them slip away a bit. But I thought this season would be slightly different just given the fact that they had players returning from injuries. And obviously this weekend they had the the breach of COVID regulations. So they dropped Madison and Perez and, and a couple of other players from the squad. So it does seem that maybe they just lack the, uh, the ability to sort of see it through right until the end. But look, if they... I think they're playing in the FA Cup semi-final so you know if they win that game and then they push on for the rest of the season they've got some good fixtures coming up as well so yeah it's it's a toss-up between the two I mean I think both of them will fancy their chances um but I don't know where my money would be to be honest probably on neither well I mean (laughs) talking about recent form Leicester have now lost two on the bounce and in terms of you know individual players Jamie Vardy's not had the best 2021 has he got two goals since December or something I think um, but Ian Acho started to step up to the plate I mean I think he's been well, obviously he got two today I feel like he's been in and around the goals a lot more the last few weeks um, so you know they have got a little bit more firepower now because Ian Acho's kind of started to provide the goals that Vardy isn't at the moment um, 
but you know we've already spoken about Liverpool's running. Um, West Ham obviously have the momentum. I think Spurs we can start to write off now. Everton probably after that draw against Brighton. So the number of teams is getting whittled down. Um, but you know if you think that if you fancy Liverpool's chances of getting in the top four, as I think most of us still do, then you know it's a tight call, isn't it, to decide which then we'll miss out. Mm. Um, but we'll we'll move on again to Spurs against Man United. Um, Spurs now five points off fifth. It's not even the top four. Five points off the automatic Europe, uh, Europa League place in fifth. Um, and United now as good as qualified for the Champions League for next season. So they can get knocked out in the group stage again. Um, so it was, firstly, it was a great second half performance by United. They've now got 28 points from losing from losing positions this season and are closing in on Arsenal's 27-game away unbeaten record, which stretched from April 2003 to September 2004. Um, I mean, let's start with that on the positives before we start looking at kind of Mourinho and Spurs. And just kind of, I mean, they've done it again. They've done it again from 1-0 down. Um, and it was actually reasonably comfortable this time as well. Um, I mean, it's just it's just getting, it's becoming a madness now, isn't it, really? Yeah, the, the game was, I mean... There was obviously the the contentious um, McTominay Son incident in the first half, which you know Cavani scored a great goal, and then it was ruled out because the play was brought back for whether it was a foul or foul play or whatever. Um, I think a, a lot of people have conflicting opinions about it. Um, but yeah, you came out in the second half one nil down, and I I was really really impressed with United. Um, I don't think I'd seen you play that well for for a while. And Cavani and Pogba really looking the part. Greenwood coming on, scoring the goal to seal it. It is really impressive. And, you know, all the all the stats and the records um, sort of detailing points won from losing positions and away wins. It is just, uh, you've got to just give, I mean, the team and Solskjaer some credit, I think, because they've done so well and, and are under the spotlight so much. And, you know, we've we've scrutinized them massively on over the over the months and stuff, but they kept going and they they really looked to have cultivated sort of a uh, a really effective and and dangerous way of playing. And they're they're downright the second best team in the league and and not that far away from City this season. So I think if you and you're still in the uh the Europa League as well, which I think your favourites for. So United uh are close to having a really good season. Um, you know, it could not finish that way, but I think a strong second place finished and winning the Europa League would would really sort of allow Solskjaer to push on next year and he'd have to get the backing in the transfer window because then you say, look, we're 10 points off City. We've won a European Cup. Back me. Give me give me the strength <laughs> to, to combat City. Yeah, I agree. I mean, well, just leads on actually... I- can sort of crowbar this in now uh, in that Spurs, who kind of came out this week that Harry Kane said if Spurs don't qualify for the top four, don't get in the Champions League, you'll hand in a transfer request. Um, and you're thinking, if Harry Kane wants to leave, then United must be one of the clubs kind of swimming around like sharks trying to sign him. I mean, Cavani obviously was an outstanding player on this weekend against Spurs, but the best one in the world, he's what, he's 34, he's not a, a long-term signing. So, you think Spurs kind of write off their chances of qualifying for one of the, the kind of the, the the crowning glory, the Champions League. And so if Solskjaer's going to be back, I mean, what better way to do it than trying, you know, go and nab Kane from Spurs for him? Yeah, I mean, 
when you when you put it like that, it's, it's very true. I mean, it, it will be interesting to see how these how these things play out come the end of the season because, like you said, Kane will be looking to leave if Spurs don't qualify for well, the Champions League, let alone Europe, which they could end up with with without either. So imagine, you know, that would be, you can't say that Kane wouldn't, with any any addition, adding him to any team would, would, would make that, cut that gap between the team above. So yeah, I think United are in a very strong position um, and not like Spurs are at the moment, to be honest, because they're sort of, um, in a tough moment, and they've got a few big games coming up before their um, for their Carabao Cup final. Which also, if they if they win that against City, which they definitely could on a one off, I don't think it will happen. But you know that that secures European qualification. So I'm sure Mourinho will have his eyes set on that as sort of a a win win and and ensure that Spurs are are fine for next year in terms of European football. I mean, it's the first time that Mourinho suffered ten league defeats in a season as a manager. He's kind of, I think of all the times when he starts to struggle at a club, particularly in England, you kind of you know that he started to go the wrong way when he starts coming out of these weird outbursts in press conferences. I mean, I'm thinking um, that three three titles for me, two for them kind of thing at United. And then obviously it was the uh, Eva, the doctor at Chelsea, Eva Carnero. Um, and this time it was saying that, um, it's talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's son and Ole's parenting abilities in his post-match press conference, which it seems to me is kind of the clearest sign yet based on what we see in previous roles previous jobs of his that yeah is not working yeah like i watched the social uh press conference like after the game and i did find it a bit bizarre sort of yeah yeah he, he was very annoyed but i've seen him do this a few times in press conferences he like he makes some weird sort of comments or the way he says it and um one of my uh, a united fan is one of my mates sort of drew the comparison to him and holland because um, obviously they're Norwegian and a, a maybe it's just sort of a Norwegian thing because, um, yeah, it was bizarre. And he sort of suggested that if Son was his child, he wouldn't be getting fed. And then Mourinho obviously pulled him up on that saying, in such Mourinho fashion, just saying like, you know, always feed your children. I'm so disappointed in Ole. So that was a bit strange. But yeah, it, it did show that obviously Mourinho was sort of um, rising to the bait and... Uh, He's not in a good place, I don't think, with his Spurs team. Yeah, um, we'll move on now to a more positive outcome for a London club. That was a, God, that was a terrible link, wasn't it? Um, talk about Arsenal uh, beat Sheffield United, as is kind of expected nowadays. Sheffield United's nightmare is almost over. Um, they're 18 points from safety with 21 to play for. So, you know, come Saturday night, you know, they, they put, it could have been put out of the misery. I just think we just want to see really. It's kind of quite difficult. While there's still that very faint possibility, it's new, you know, but... I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, there's a faint possibility at this No, point. I know, but it's just... just well, like, it's getting well, highlighted in red on the table. Like, just like, they're, they're officially gone. Like, don't just put them out of the mystery, I think. But uh, Arsenal managed to right a few wrongs in this game at Bramwell Lane. It was the first win in five. It was the first clean sheet in 15... Um, Martinelli's first goal since January 2020. So, you know, put the opposition aside, it was a uh, a very positive form, wasn't it, for your lot? Yeah, it was. I think, I mean, I and, and many Arsenal fans were 
obviously very, very frustrated and disappointed with the way in which the Europa League game went last week after the Liverpool game as well. So it was really important to respond. And I, don't, I wasn't feeling too confident, to be honest, because we were without so many of our key players, even if Sheffield United were in terrible form and bottom of the league. I think maybe I underestimated just how bad they were because we were able to play pretty comfortably and play quite well. But yeah, really important um, for momentum and, and getting a clean sheet and winning a game before the second leg against Slavia Prague next week. And also just for keeping our league position just slightly better because at one point this weekend we were down in 11th and I was just thinking like, Christ, this is really hitting home right now. But I think that just does show it that the margins are so fine and we, and we really are bang mid-table this season. So it's quite sad, but I think we just got to win these games to try and sort of sort of scrape together some sort of um, respectable league finish. And yeah, I guess everything's in the Europa League from now on. But it was great to see some some players uh, get a chance on the likes of Martinelli. And, you know, Lacazette played well after having a shocker in the week. And we got a clean sheet, as you say, for the first time in 15, which is really bizarre. Um, sort of don't know how that's happened because we were quite good defensively for a while. And then clearly for the last stretch of the season, we haven't been. So, yeah, good day at the office, all things considered. So... We yeah, well, so Lacazette's now scored five in his last six, and Martinelli obviously back to the back to the team with a goal. Meanwhile, Aubameyang has well, he wasn't in the team on, on uh, the weekend, and we also saw Saka limping off. Um, so Lacazette and Martinelli could, you know, quite possibly be your well attacking combination for the for the next few games. And to be fair, if you look, you you will put your faith in Lacazette now, where I'm sure there are times this season where you maybe wouldn't. But uh, he's starting to, uh, he looks like he's turned a corner a bit now, to be fair. And obviously with Martinelli as well. It's, it's quite an exciting front two at the moment. Yeah, I, the thing is, like, you asked me who I want to start against Slavia Prague on Thursday. It's Aubameyang, 100%. And not just because of, I mean, on recent form, you'd say Lacazette deserves it. But, you know, who, who do I want sort of with, with the opportunities that we're going to create in a big European game? I want Aubameyang, like, 100%. I think most Arsenal fans would agree but he has to play up front. You don't want him playing off the wing. And this is where I think it's quite important because if you play Lacazette, which you can, like we saw in that game, you have to play him with, you know, the likes of Martinelli and Pepe and, and maybe Saka as well, players that can can run off him and, and get him behind because Lacazette's not that sort of player. He drops really deep and he did it quite well against Sheffield United, but he he plays a certain way which then changes the way the team plays. So you have to provide the, the adequate players around him. The same as Aubameyang, to be honest, you play, you know, Erdegaard and, and Smith-Rowe, for example. And it's interesting to sort of, you like your stats today. I think five of Aubameyang's last six goals have come when Aubameyang's not been in the team. Nicola Pepe always seems to play better when Aubameyang's not in the team. So, I mean, it is just a, a classic case of Arsenal's poor recruitment and having an unbalanced front line because our three most expensive players are those three players, but they can't play together in an effective way um, this season, at least. So, yeah, it is exciting, but at the same time, we've just got to get the attacking blend right because we got it so wrong against uh, Slavia Prague last week with Willian and Lacazette playing together, and that was never going to work. So, I'd like to see those those mistakes corrected um, on Thursday. And I think, yeah, this was a, a solid sign that maybe there was something to like about this attacking lineup. 
I mean, you talk about Aubameyang there and you know, the likes of Pepe, for example, playing better when he's not in the team. And, you know, believe it or not, I do actually have a stat for that. Um, so hold on to your hat. Um, Arsenal have won two-thirds of their games in the Premier League this season in which Aubameyang hasn't played. They've won four out of six in which Aubameyang hasn't played. They've only won 36% of games in which he has. Uh, nine out of 25. So, I mean, that might just be a series of numbers to you, but I don't know, maybe you could... I think, I mean, so much of that obviously was was from the, the the earlier part of the season where we were playing terribly and then he's missed a lot of games when we were playing, starting to play well and he was unfortunate to miss those. But I just think now, you know, he, he, he started to play him up front all the time and I think I was never too concerned where he played because he always scored. But now it's so clear you can't stick him on the wing. You can't play him with Lacazette. You play him up front or you don't play him. And I'm fine for him being rotated every now and again, but you play him in the big games, you play him against Slavia Prague, um, and then you rest him maybe for Fulham and you let Lacazette have a run out. But yeah, he's got to play up front and he's got to have the right players around him. And we started to get that right. And then we sort of regressed a bit. So yeah, he, he's he got it all to prove for the this final stretch of the season of Bamiyang because it's been a real disappointing one so far. And there's been circumstances around it, but... Yeah, he he has to sort of pull it out of the bag to sort of prove that his uh, his big fat three hundred fifty thousand a year contract or there or thereabouts is worth it at least for the first year because at this point in time it's hard to argue that it has been. Yeah, I I well not an Arsenal fan, so I don't follow as closely as you, but that all sounds pretty pretty accurate to me. Um, so if we just I think have one final word on Sheffield United and then we'll wrap up talking about the Premier League because we can move on to Europe and the FA Cup. Um, one thing you could always kind of say about them is, as you know, as clear as it has been this season, they were going to end up going down. It was that they didn't get battered by anyone. You know, they could always, there was always a chance they could maybe, just maybe, like nick a point in a few of the matches they played. Like they weren't getting steamrolled, but they've now conceded 10 in the last three. And, you know, I mean, their heads are just chopped, haven't they? It just shows kind of what, what a manager like Chris Wilder and kind of his personality and, you know, the faintest glimmer of hope can do for you. Because, I mean, when he left, I mean, you know, any lingering doubts, not yeah. that there were many, completely went. Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely down and out. And it is quite sad to sort of see them constantly just being rolled over. Um, but look, I think they'll do well to sort of try and regroup in the summer and, and maybe change a few players and, and establish a new style because the Chris Wilder days are obviously gone. But as you keep pointing out correctly, they're... You know, he's, his uh, his influence is still there, but he's not there. So that can be a that must be a really difficult dynamic to have, and knowing that you're going down. So, yeah, it is sooner rather than later. Hopefully, sooner the better. They're 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 put out of their misery. Okay, so we'll just move on to the to the final part this week, talking about last week's and this week coming actually, um, Champions League and Europa League action. And we'll squeeze in a little bit of talk about the two FA Cup semi-finals coming up this weekend too. So we've got this recording Tuesday morning this week. So there's two Champions League games tonight and two tomorrow on, on Wednesday night. And the first leg scores were Man City beating Dortmund 2-1 at home. Uh, Liverpool went to Madrid and lost 3-1. PSG beat Bayern 3-2 uh, away at the Allianz Arena. And Chelsea went to Porto and scored two away goals, winning 2-0. Um, so I'll let you choose, Alfie, where you want to start out of them. I assume you you watched most of them, followed them. So I'll let you start, like, what the talking points are. 
Um, okay, well, let's let's start maybe with the because if we're recording on Tuesday tonight, it's uh, it's Bayern PSG and Chelsea Porto, so maybe let's start there. I thought the Bayern PSG game was was one of the best games I'd watched sort of in the Champions League for a long time. It was proper end to end. I think Bayern were massively missing Lewandowski because they had, I think, about 31 attempts on goal. And, you know, they scored twice, but they would have beaten PSG easily if Lewandowski was in there apart, instead of Chupamoting, uh, the uh, relegated Stoke, the former Stoke man. Um, not to say he hasn't scored some important goals, but yeah, I think PSG showed that with Neymar and Mbappe on the break, they are unstoppable. And... PSG look like I mean for me they're the favourites to be honest because it looks like they'll they'll go through against uh, Bayern. I'm I, now I've said that I'm sure that that Bayern will go through, but yeah, PSG look great. I mean Mbappe and, and Neymar, and then on the other on the other hand, yeah, Bayern were without key players and you could really see that. So I guess you can't say that PSG aren't favourites with the three away goals. Um, but it was a great game last week and I'm sort of looking forward to something similar tonight because I think both teams will go. I mean, Bayern aren't a team to sort of hold back. They play such a high line and PSG obviously have two of the most dangerous forwards, you know, going in behind. So it's really going to be end-to-end and Bayern don't seem to want to compromise their principles and and PSG are in the driving seat. So they're going to sit back and try and hit Bayern on the counter. So I expect a few, a fair few goals tonight as well. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's a shame that this had to come in the quarterfinals opposed to later, but it still served up a, a bit of a treat last week. Um, Bayern have started to struggle in the league a bit more now. I just think generally that, you know, the, the side full of such quality that they are, um, there's, you know, they've got the best striker in the world and whatever team you are on the planet, if you've not got a striker of that quality in your team, you know, when you're used to having that money, you can turn two for goals. It's... You know, I mean, the champions of Europe, champions of Germany, however season's running, but you can't overestimate kind of how big a loss that has turned out to be. Oh, massively. I mean, also the drop-off from Lewandowski to Chupamoting. Yeah. So not being able to play Serge Gnabry, for example, up front. I mean, I'm just looking at their injury lists. They've got Lewandowski injured, Gnabry injured. Goretzka's now doubtful. He obviously went off at half-time against PSG. A um, couple of defenders, Lucas Hernandez, Nicolas Sula, uh, Tolizo, who who's played in their midfield uh, over the duration of the season, Douglas Costa as well. But yeah, that Lewandowski one is like, I mean, the biggest equivalent I can think of is is Kane getting injured for um, Spurs because, you know, Bayern are such a good team, but they rely on Lewandowski's goals and they create so many chances for him and he's such a presence in the box. So I think it's, it's devastating that um, he's out. And I, I, I think I could safely say, and, and a lot of people could, that that Bayern would be probably about 50 times more likely to go through than um, if they had Lewandowski in their team than if they didn't. So the drop-off is, is considerable. I agree with that. I mean, you never quite know with PSG. I mean, you know, they're, make, they're making a bit of a history of... Um, second leg crumbling in the Champions League. You look at Barcelona, even Man United have turned it around in the second leg against PSG. Um, so you would maybe on that metric give Bayern some degree of a chance, but you know, we'll wait and see. Um, the other game tonight, obviously, you said Chelsea are at home against Porto, um, already holding a two-goal lead. 
Thomas Tuchel's got them playing some good stuff now. He's even got them scoring a few goals as well, not just keeping clean sheets. Um, so, you know, we did, I think, a couple of weeks ago, talked about, I don't think we talked about Chelsea's potential winners, but certainly a side who could, you know, definitely reach the final. And they are looking more established by the week, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, we didn't touch on it, but obviously they, they battered uh, Crystal Palace at the weekend, scored four, and it looks as if, you know, they were so good defensively for, for the first part of Tuchel's reign and then started conceding a few goals and now they've started scoring a few. And yeah, they, the 2-0 the, the win against Porto was, I mean, to get two away goals, very impressive. I, I expect them to sort of see the game out tonight and then looks like they'll be playing Real Madrid in the in the semi-final, which again, I, I don't think anyone wants to play Chelsea because I think they're capable of keeping a clean sheet and hitting on the counter. They've got such quality going forward. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're in with a shot like, like the rest of them. I think all the, all the bigger teams are, are not quite what, what, what they once were. So Chelsea will be fancying themselves. And yeah, they're, they're looking stronger by the day, I think. And so they should be, to be honest. They, they've got such a good blend of, you know, um, experienced players and academy talents and then also you know the, the heavy investment that they've made over the last few years with the likes of Werner and Havertz and Pulisic and Ziyech and you know all those sorts of players so they, they, they've got a great squad and so they should be sort of pushing for the for the highest reaches of, of what's on offer. We uh, I would like to go into that game a little bit more honestly but we are a little bit short on time so we'll move to Wednesday's fixtures that we've got City travelling to Dortmund protecting a 2-1 aggregate lead and Real Madrid visiting Anfield. Um, now, I think, let's let's start with City. Um, obviously, they're, they're, they're amongst the favourites. I think possibly still the favourites to win the tournament um, against Haaland's Dortmund. And I can't help but think, having seen Mbappe score two against Bayern last week and, you know, whatever happens tonight, that might just give Haaland a little bit of motivation, just, you know, step it up another gear. And, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not inclined to write Dortmund off just yet, but they're going to need a big shift from, you know, the likes of Haaland and Sancho. Yeah, I mean, I, Sancho's out injured, unfortunately, again. Yeah, um, but yeah, Haaland, I mean, he didn't really have too much of a sniff last week. Having said that, he set up the goal for Royce, uh, the goal that Dortmund did get, which was an excellent goal and a really nice pass from Haaland. He had one chance where he, I mean, it was brilliant to see. It, he sort of was played through on goal like muscle out muscled Ruben Diaz to the floor, just like brushed him off like he wasn't there and then just couldn't quite lift the ball into the back of the net. But he's such a threat in behind and I'm sure he'll be wanting to stamp his his authority on proceedings. And I think City have also shown that they're they are they can be vulnerable, um, even if they dominate games like they did against Leeds, like they did against Dortmund last week. But they're still capable of, of sort of conceding a goal or two. So yeah, I think Haaland will definitely want to um keep his name sort of at the top of the conversation. And I mean, I still expect City to, to go through, mm. but look, we've seen them falter at this. I mean, not at the, yeah, at this stage or even the stage before so many times. So it will be interesting to see how they manage the sort of game state this year, as opposed to previous years, because they've, they failed to do so. I do wonder just, you know, if Dortmund do go one up and then obviously if Dortmund go one up, then that would mean that as it stood, they would be going through on away goals. Um, so I do, you know, if they do manage to make that first goal, I think it might make it interesting. I think as soon as City 
put one in the back of the net. I, you know, it's kind of game over, really. Mm. But I think because if Dortmund could get a lead and keep hold of it for kind of as long as possible, then I think that that would make it very interesting. Because, you know, is based good. on most recent experience of what happened against Leeds, City might start to have a few creeping doubts. But Yeah, I mean, thing is, like, um, Dortmund have got an away goal, obviously. And City obviously go in with a 2-1 lead. But, yeah, as you say, they might be vulnerable from the weekend. I mean, a lot of key players weren't playing against Leeds, yeah, or at least at the start. So, you know, the likes of Ruben Diaz, Kevin De Bruyne coming back in is, is pretty massive uh, in terms of the the um, the up the upturn of quality. So, yeah, I expect City to, to go through, but it's, it's not done by any stretch. And Dortmund will fancy their chances. Might I just add as well how... Unfortunate it is that, you know, the Dortmund fans aren't there because obviously they're renowned for being one of the best. And that leads us nicely on to how different an occasion the the Real Madrid-Liverpool game might have been. Um, you think of one of those classic Anfield nights um, with this sort of game because Liverpool are down 3-1. Um, I, I don't think they've got enough to, to turn it yeah. over. But with the, with the crowd alive, you know, we've seen it happen so many times. It's a shame that they don't get a chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, they've managed it from three down against Barcelona. You know, it's sad that other likes of Suarez and Messi in it, for example, against the Real Madrid that does really lack the star quality that they've had over the last few seasons. Um, but I mean, so to Liverpool, really, I mean, none of their key players have really been hitting the heights they've hit in the last couple of seasons. And I agree with you, even though the, the margin might be, the two-goal deficit might be slightly smaller than, you know, defeats they've managed to overturn before. It's it's it just it has to be too much this year, surely. Yeah, I I I think so. I think Real are, are actually proving themselves a, a good team at the moment as well. They're in good form. They they won their Clasico at the weekend. Mm. They they played well against Liverpool. They showed them how they knew how to play against Liverpool to hurt them, exploit their weaknesses in defence. So I think I'd be very surprised if Liverpool. Uh, stage that comeback they can't concede a goal really I mean they could but they've got to score more so look I expect them to give it a go but I don't think they have the the platform at the back to to sort of um, yeah give it all guns blazing to to Real and not sort of be hit on the counter but look I'm I'm here to be proven wrong I'd love to see it so <laughs> I mean you touched just then on the, the Spanish league obviously Madrid are in with a fighting chance of winning that still, obviously. I mean, I think the one point behind Atletico, aren't they, with the same number of games played? And I don't know if it's just being a, an English fan who doesn't watch the Spanish League particularly closely, but I kind of had this impression this season that Real and Barca were, you know, way out of it. And Atletico, well, Atletico at one point were, they were, you know, marching clear. They were, I don't know, goodness has how many points ahead. But uh, I don't know what it's been. I think Barca under Koeman have seen kind of some unprecedented reversal in, fortunes really and now starting to play some good stuff and it's, it's slightly weird just from an English perspective who doesn't follow the Spanish league on a weekly basis that it has signed up like that yeah I think Atletico were definitely you know I think they were around 10 points clear at some point but therefore massively dropped off Real put some good games together and so did Barcelona so I think yeah those top three are separated by a point or two so very exciting for the rest of the season and I think Barca still are there in the Copa del Rey final. Obviously, Real still have their Champions League campaign going. So it'll be interesting to see who takes the La Liga crown because I think Real would mean two 
two seasons in a row. I think Atletico would have felt that they'd really chucked it away if they didn't win it this year, but yeah. it's hard to see them doing so, having chucked away such a big lead. Um, so, yeah, exciting on, on the Spanish domestic front as well. Yeah, it's always good to have one of the uh, the top four or five leagues having a bit of a title fight. I mean, France as well. You'd have thought that we'd seen a title fight in France. I don't think PSG were even top there, are they? But uh, oh, I've not got much to comment on in the French league, but... Uh, <laughs> it's worth pointing out that you know they're beating Bayern Munich away from home, but they're still not top of the French league, which is well, what you know, a role think... reversal. Because <laughs> exactly. everyone was yeah, saying quite. what walkover this this league is for them domestically. But look, I'm, I'm sure they won't complain if they don't win the the title. I mean, I'm sure they still will, and mm-hmm. if they do better in Europe, yeah, we'll we'll move on to Europe because I'm conscious just about filling the hour now. Um, Obviously, Arsenal drew one all against Slavia Prague on Thursday evening. Man United went to Granada and won 2 0. The second legs of those fixtures are coming up this week. Arsenal playing one of Villarreal or Zagreb in the semi finals. Should they get through? United playing one of Ajax or Roma. Should they get there? Um, so let's start with Arsenal. Um, almost snuck a victory at the end. I mean, you left it late to score yourselves, didn't you? And then Slavia Prague left it even later to bag an equaliser. So, just like, what were your thoughts on that? And then just. You know, Time conscious, just kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we should have we did enough to win the game. We had some great chances, we didn't put them away. We made substitutions far too late. We brought on the likes of Pepe and Abamyang after Martinelli, you know, towards the 80th minute, and they made an instant impact, but it wasn't enough, it was too late. Um, we conceded a stupid goal at the end, again, giving ourselves far much far too much to do. Um when it should have been and could have been a lot more comfortable with a different team selection. I think he got it wrong. Obviously in hindsight, that's because the result didn't go our way. There was, there were chances, but if you don't put the right players on the pitch, you're more like, you're less likely to get the results and, and players performing to the level that we need at the moment. Um, we missed Martin Erdegaard as well, obviously without Kieran Tierney and without uh, David Luiz as well so some some really important starters for Arsenal and again the drop-off of quality is is second to none we're, we're looking quite thin at the moment but yeah it was really disappointing for them to get the away goal but I expect us to go to Prague and win and progress the next round otherwise Arteta is going to face uh, some some serious sort of backlash so he can't not do it <laughs> No, I mean, just to pick up on something you said just then, um, which is something I didn't think I would be saying, but um, would you, obviously spoke earlier about Arsenal, they went 14 games without keeping a clean sheet. Would you attribute that to not having David Luiz? Do you think he is, do you think if David Luiz is playing, you you know, you don't have that run of 14 games without a clean sheet? I mean, uh, just for me, that's quite a weird one, given what we've been saying about in the season and the number of goals conceded that he's been involved in. Yeah, he. To be fair, he's he's played the majority of those games. I mean, he's only got an injury sort of more recently, so I don't think it's necessarily because of that. Are we a better team with him on the pitch? Yes, which is slightly ironic. He's actually had, all things considered, quite a good season, and I do think it's just the David Luiz factor that comes into play. Everyone attributes him to sort of disaster classes, and yeah, he makes a mistake or two, but which defender doesn't? It's because it's David Luiz, and he's got really curly hair, and 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 he's a cult figure. I mean, honestly, it is so. Yeah, he we do miss him, but I think we've we've not conceded we've conceded goals with him in the team as well. So yeah. Yeah, so it's not the best question phrase. I didn't mean more like are you a stronger team, but I think you 
that's how you interpret it anyways. That's all right. Um, just to finish then, we'll uh, just look to this weekend's FA Cup semi-finals. We've got Man City against Chelsea. Um, personally, I think that this FA Cup semi-final is kind of the last opportunity anybody has to deny City the quadruple. That's my kind of personal feeling. So uh, I'm expecting big things from Chelsea on Saturday evening. And then we've got Leicester against Southampton on Sunday. And it's quite obvious which the the more attractive game for the neutral is. It's City against Chelsea. And I mean, that is actually an incredibly interesting matchup, really, when you look at how Chelsea have improved the last few weeks. City, it'll be interesting to see how they do fare against Dortmund, as we think they'll, they'll probably do. They'll probably be absolutely fine. Um, but, you know, it's a very interesting time for them to, to be meeting when Chelsea are, you know, improving so rapidly. Mm. I think this is a real test for Chelsea and a chance to lay down the marker, not just for this season and have a chance of winning um, a trophy, but for next season as well, if they can beat Man City and show that they're really capable of sort of keeping clean sheets, thrashing the smaller teams, beating, like beating the, the, the bigger teams as well by fine margins. It's going to be a really interesting clash. And I also think it will be interesting to see, I mean, if both teams go through uh, which we're expecting them to to the net, to the semi-finals of the uh, of the Champions League, then you know this is both teams could end up with a really successful sort of end of season. I think we're expecting City to do it, but Chelsea could do it as well. So yeah, big 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 clash and and very exciting to see who comes out on top. I mean, it could yet be as you said a prelude to a, a Champions League final, but we'll we'll wait and see on that one. It'll be important for either side, you think, even if it's not for that, but certainly for seasons ahead to lay down a mark, like you said. Um, and then on Sunday, we've got two sides who actually are rather out of form. It's fair to say Leicester uh, lost the last two in the league. Southampton were rolled over by West Brom. Big Sam up to his old tricks. Um, and it's, I mean, there's not much you can say about that game, really, to be honest, I don't think, other than, you know, whichever of them sides gets through, he's going to be massively the underdog in the final. Yeah. And you know, and, and even at the best times, even if they're on a really good winning run, which neither of them is, so you know it'll be a great day out for either team. But it's um, nothing more. Than I'd, that. Like see, I'd like to see Leicester in the final. I think they deserve it, given the football that they've played over the last few years. They've been unlucky not to have anything to really show for it, other than people sort of liking them as a team um, and an Hearts reputation. But yeah, given that they beat United in the last round and they're capable of. They've beaten Chelsea and City this year, so it would be great to see them in the final and, and have a go sort of in, in one 90-minute affair, for example. So who's your, uh, just to finish then, who's your prediction? Who are we seeing in the FA Cup final then, do you reckon? I think we will see... I'm going to go boring. Manchester City-Leicester is, is what I'll go. I mean, Klopp... I'd to agree, to be honest. I mean, I could say Chelsea, Southampton, just to be different. Chelsea, but... Chelsea are not far. Like it's it's almost a fifty-fifty in my mind. I think City have enough, but that shows that Chelsea are not to be sort of dismissed. No, I would agree. Um, anyway, I think we'll leave it there for this week. We uh, got through a hell of a lot of games this week, perhaps more than ever. And we couldn't maybe go into some of them as in depth as we would have liked. But um, good, interesting little chat there. We had two weeks worth of stuff to catch up on, and. Uh, so that's a fun little chat that. So thanks everyone for listening and we'll be back again next Monday or Tuesday um, with obviously the results of this week's European competition and FA Cup semi-finals and some more Premier League and we'll see if Rangers are still unbeaten in the Scottish Premier League which we didn't even touch on this week. So we've got an awful lot to uh, talk about next week as well. So thanks for listening and bye-bye.
show.